you know, I'm a big believer um, in the MVP concept and, and how you how do you utilize that. You know, the, the biggest advantage you get um, from doing an MVP is it, it creates a bias to action. And then also, you know, quite honestly, is uh, you fail quickly, uh, which is which is quite useful. And I think with the organization, you know, what it was, was, you know, immediately focusing to the customer. You know, when a company goes through some issues and some different spinoffs and some others, there's a tendency to get very internally focused and you lose focus on that customer. I'm Jim Fagan, Chief Strategy and Revenue Officer at Global Cloud Exchange. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today how Jim Fagan revolutionized a company to enable the hungry bandwidth innovations of tomorrow. All this and more on Code Story. Jim Fagan has had a long and winding road into the tech world. He grew up in New Jersey and post-school started out in finance. Slowly, through those roles, he drifted towards operations and then eventually towards technology. Personally, he loves to be outside doing stuff that involves the water. He enjoys surfing, wakeboarding, skiing, you name it. Through his profession, he's traveled the world and visited many amazing places, including spending nine years in Hong Kong. He found great pleasure in learning the cultures, personal and business, and how to reach out across languages to make connections. Jim found himself in an opportune position to join a company and not only bring it back to life, but to take advantage of a massive global connectivity solution, providing managed network services for over 140 multinational companies. The question he was hired to answer was, how do we combine infrastructure with software? This is the pivot story of Global Cloud Exchange. Global Cloud Exchange started out 20 some odd years ago as a, as a company called Flag, um, which built some of the first large subsea cable systems. And over time, they operated those in the Atlantic between uh, the US and Europe and the Mediterranean down to uh, from Europe into the Middle East, uh, across the Middle East and into India as well as um, you know, providing connectivity into, uh, into Asia-Pacific countries. And over time, the, you know, the company evolved, um, became part of Reliance Communications in India, and then also ended up um, extending out and getting a managed services arm, so uh, doing uh, global enterprise network managed services. And uh, so really kind of two diverse businesses, but you, know, you look about 10 years ago, it looks very diverse. But now converging, um, the company was spun off from Reliance about three years ago or two years ago um, and went through a reorganization. And that's when I uh, had the opportunity to join it uh, probably a little less than two years ago at this point, really to figure out one, how to, how to get the company back on its, on its feet, but also to take advantage of uh, an absolutely incredible global uh, internet um, network connectivity infrastructure as well as uh, you know, 140 you know multinational companies that we provide internet. Um, I was not sorry, internet. Excuse me, managed network services to, and really, you know, how do we actually take that and combine infrastructure with software, and 
really kind of um, you know become a major part of uh, of you know communications as things move to 5G and edge, and you look at gaming and content and streaming, really almost reimagining infrastructure um, into uh, you know with a, with a very heavy software play. So that's been um, you know the path we've been on for about the uh, the last year and a half, and it's been a, it's been a really exciting journey. So. You know, I asked the question of, you know, tell me about the MVP. So I guess MVP for you would be that, you know, first version of turning the company around, right? Or the product offerings or how you went about that. Tell me about that, you know, MVP, so to speak. And and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life and how long it took you to turn it around. You know, I'm a big believer um, in the MVP concept and, and how, you, how do you utilize that. And I think... You know, the, the biggest advantage you get um, from doing an MVP is it, it creates a bias to action. And then also, you know, quite honestly, is uh, you fail quickly, uh, which is which is quite useful. So, you know, if you look at it, it's kind of probably from two perspectives um, on how we looked at it. And I'll take it kind of from the, the turnaround of the organization and then also, uh, you know, to follow up Noah on your question regarding uh regarding product because uh, we are looking at how we revitalize our products and services and, and while they go hand in hand they're a little bit two separate journeys and, and i think with the organization you know what it was was you know immediately focusing to the customer um you know when a company goes through some issues and some different spin-offs and some others there's a tendency to get very internally focused and you lose focus on that customer and i think you know as you develop products that's a um, you know kind of a blind spot that you can also fall into, and, and um, unfortunately, fallen into that in my past. So I guess that's a learning. Is where you get so into the feature functions or the internal aspects, you kind of forget why you're doing it or who you're doing it for. So really, it was a lot of uh, fortifying our customer teams, um, communicating with our customers, making sure their services um, stayed robust, that we can meet their needs going forward and rallying the company around that. I mean, obviously we had to do some costs, some uh, some restructures, but also again, doing that quickly, um, getting everybody aligned and pushing forward to that common vision. So, you know, we were at a point where, you know, literally 18 months ago, um, we were a negative cash EBIT of business. Um, and we just announced our first half earnings uh, for our fiscal year, which goes, which ended September uh, of, the, of 2021. Um, and for the trailing 12 months, we actually were able to turn a a $95 million cash EBITDA. So it was uh, quite a rapid turnaround. And now that's actually provided us the foundation to go, okay, now who do we, who do we become as the world of technology as as interconnectivity is getting more and more important as uh, latency is important as, you know, people want to reach out to around the world. How do we play a bigger role in that? So how do we pivot to the product? And that's really been the focus over the course of the last year now, or, or six, nine months, is what are we going to offer our customers? Congrats on the turnaround. That's a massive turnaround. That's something to be really proud of. And it sounds like it's going to fuel the next round round of growth. When you're, you know, when you're looking forward into, well, I'd say even even both, when you, when you were doing the turnaround and then you've, you've got to your successful EBITDA, what sort of trade-offs and decisions did you have to work through as far as, you know, perhaps company or, um, and we'll, we can get to the product in a minute, but perhaps company, you know, what sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to work through and, and how did you cope with them? Uh, to use a term you said earlier, a lot of coffee um, <laughs> to, stay, to stay on top of everything. But, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is focus is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the realization when you're in that you can't, um, 
you, you can't do everything for everyone. Um, and you have to just own up to those trade-offs. So it was very much finding the balance of, you know, what was going to be the, the biggest return for the company to kind of get us back in financial stability, get us back um, to uh, where we could get, regain our customer's trust. Or I don't think we ever lost the customer's trust, but there was a, a wariness um, as we went through this process. So how we were able to do that. And then what that meant is kind of, you know, leaving some stuff, um, you know, not behind, but some ideas where, you know, you would get ideas from the team. Um, you know, maybe we should offer this product in this market or we should, you know, try to, you know, try to, you know, fulfill this service request for a customer on the managed services side. And even though if you looked at it in isolation, it was a good idea. When you looked at the limited resources we had, where we had to position it, you had to make those trade-offs. And I think, you know, the big thing on that turnaround is kind of being clear-eyed about that and understanding you can't do everything and very much identifying the big rocks and pushing the focus of the organization towards those big rocks. So how are you planning to move forward with the product? Um, and, and my question kind of is centered around product progression and, and maturation, but, um, but I think to give context a little more, how are you going to build your roadmap? How are you going to figure out what is the next most important thing to, to build or to create or to pivot to with the product? It's interesting because if you think about it, we have, you know, kind of two very different pieces of our business that obviously we bring together for one, um, or, or for, for a product and service experience for our customers. So as I mentioned on our, our enterprise side, a lot of um, software defined networking, a lot of software based solutions. But then we underpin that with a, you know, with a massive, uh, you know, the largest privately owned, you know, subsea network in the world, um, which is infrastructure. Um, and we, we do have infrastructure in hard to reach places, as I mentioned earlier, to pretty much, you know, we land in all the Middle East countries um, into India. Uh, but, you know, so we have to balance that. So the question, so we look at it kind of from two, uh, two perspectives. It's the the first one is kind of, you know, what products and services can we extend on top of that infrastructure? And then there's that question of where do we extend the infrastructure to, or where do we double down on the infrastructure in a region? Um, and those are a lot bigger bets. But if you think about it, that becomes our foundation. So, you know, we're looking at it from, from the perspective. And then from there, you know, when you look at where do we want to put infrastructure, it really comes down to market trends. Um, and where our customers want to be. So for our customers, you know, it's some of the largest digital companies in the world um, that move their content, uh, whether it's in, um, you know, content, you know, streaming, whether it's gaming customers, whether it's, you know, your largest fangs. So, you know, there's a way, you know, it's kind of a thing that we talk about is it's kind of follow the data centers is so we look to kind of follow into region, uh, the data centers of the hyperscalers and where they're going is a first step for our infrastructure because to make sure we connect. And then what we've kind of feel like we can do really well for them is kind of fill out um, a bit of the capillaries. So the areas we can connect them into the markets where they don't want to do big investments, but they want to have a presence. And then from there, it's then talking to those customers and going, okay, to do that, what type of offerings do we have to have to, towards you at the edge? It has to be flexible bandwidth. Is there certain L, um, SLAs and latencies and failovers? Do you need data center space in our landing stations to put some of your equipment in? So it's again, listening to the customer and kind of crafting that. And for us, it's that balance, that investment from that fixed infrastructure 
um, into that software layer. Um, and you know, one of the really exciting things for us is about about a month ago, um, you know, uh, we were able, uh, we were announced the um, that we were acquired by um, a private equity infrastructure fund out of uh, the UK called Three I. Um, they are uh, th- that transaction won't close for about another six months. Um, just due to regulatory, but that'll be uh, fine. But you know, the exciting thing about them is they are coming in, looking to invest in this business. They want to they want to supercharge our growth in the infrastructure, and our differentiation um, into uh, into the products and services. So right now, for us, it's kind of okay. We need to quickly get those defined. We need to understand what our trade offs are on them, and then we want to accelerate them with the uh, backing of our new owner. So let's switch to team. So how are you going about? building or adjusting or or you know anything around team for this this change this revolution and, and the product side you know how are you going about building your team and, and what are you looking for in those people to indicate they're the winning horses to join you you know it's interesting coming into an established organization um you know with a, with a lot of great people and it really has been i've uh, i've thoroughly enjoyed the ride with the people that I've had the opportunity to, to work with and that have been in this company. And I think, you know, for the people that are kind of maybe in an organization and they've been doing things the same way for quite some time, you, know, you, you can't force them into something new. I think one, you have to take their feedback, you have to take it seriously because they've seen it, but then you have to provide that kind of external lens uh, saying, okay, this is, this is why things have to change. And I think a lot of it too is providing a bit more of that three to five year perspective because a lot of times people are looking kind of straight at what's in front of them six months to a year and it's kind of it's hard to see the vision so it's being very clear on the vision on who you want to be um and then continue to kind of work and monitor those people to see if like you know are they joining are they bringing in the vision so for the internal piece that's i think how you have to look at it and then what you'll usually find and we have is there's some people who are very enthusiastic about it and it's kind of probably ideas that they had already but couldn't either surface up or wasn't the right time of the company or they weren't in the right position etc so it's identifying those you know champions for lack of a better term you know and really you know bringing them into it and, and letting them get their uh get their kind of creative juices flowing again and bringing them part of the process and then on the you know the part overall it's um you know because it is a bit of a particular niche that we're in with the sub c and how you provide software on the optics above it. It's, you know, it, it was going out and getting some people that I've had the pleasure to work with in the industry before um, and actually have built successful products and services of this and getting a few of those key people into the team. So those people that could kind of say, hey, I've done this. I've done this roadmap before. I mean, obviously, times change, technology change, the company's different, maybe some of the customers we want. But I've had some success, so I kind of know how we have to do this to an extent to provide a bit of that outside leadership. And it's bringing those two teams together and blending them. This will be interesting. Um, And I'm going to ask this as generically as possible and see where you go with it, Jim. So did you or are you building this? um, Are you executing this and building this to scale efficiently from day one? Or are you going to be fighting this as you grow? Ooh, that is a that is a very good question. I think it's going to be, um, you know, I think if you look at, you know, our our industry and the amount of bandwidth that we're going to attempt to push and the amount of global scale that we have, it, it's got to be built to scale from day one. So it has to have that that capability and that vision. 
um, which does again create it creates a whole nother set of trade-offs because when you know you have to build that robustness in for scale it adds cost and it adds complexity which again is um that's the difficulty because then you start to get into making sure that you have everyone in the organization aligned you know whether it's your finance teams looking for a return it's your investors whether it's your your peer set because you know sometimes when you kind of build it to get it just out of the gate you see some quick wins but the pain and i've felt this before to go back and re-architect it's not worth it so it's a bit of you know at least trying to understand i think what we you know we tried to do with this and we have been so far and, and you know, I can say we've, we've probably pivoted twice already. You know, end state, we know what we, th- or we know. <laughs> we know we think what this thing should look like in three to four years and what it will need to scale to and what it'll get to. And so that that's always out on the, on the horizon for us. But how we get there and what we prioritize and maybe what region, what market, what customers, what feature functionality, we've probably pivoted three times in the last 12 months. Um, it hasn't slowed us down because we work in sprints and uh, in, in a software agile methodology, but we have kind of changed. I guess the, um, I guess to put it this way is, um, we know the mountain we have to climb, and we're trying to make sure we bring all the right equipment with us. But the path on how we're getting up that mountain is constantly changing. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across you know, all that you've built, the the, the turnaround and what you're going to be doing with the product and the team, what are you most proud of? Oh, wow. Now you're going to force me to reflect. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Code Story. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I think just to we're at this point now, right? We're, you know, we, we've had an amazing uh, turnaround, but, but it's just the start. Um, and uh, so I think from that perspective, what I'm most proud of is, the, is really the, 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 the team and the people in the organization. And it's, it's everyone in the organization. I mean, to have a company that is coming out of financial difficulties with a brand new management team um, with COVID work from home globally. And we are a global distributed force. I mean, we have employees around the world, whether it's sales operations to support that, um, you know, for everybody to stick to it, um, come in every day, believe in the vision, um, you know, kind of put their head down and keep the progress going. Um, and I kind of look back, I, I guess that's what I'm most proud of. I think it's been, it's been quicker, um, and the outcomes have been a lot better than than I would have imagined, and I, and I think that's a, that's really a credit to the team. And it's also you know one of the things that drew me to the opportunity though is that it kind of it was a proof point as well that you know it really was a great set of assets and a great set of customers, and with the right vision and the right motivation, um, there was really the ability to unlock that potential. So I think that's been I guess if you if you put it from that perspective, that's been uh, the most rewarding aspect is to be able to be a part of that. Um, and help unlock that, uh, both from, um, you know, what the capabilities of the company were, but what our uh, people could achieve as well and give our customers some great outcomes. So, so be able to help unlock that and see that, you know, kind of, uh, kind of come out and see those results come and now kind of have us positioned probably a lot earlier than we thought to go take the next big investment and big plunge. Um, that's been the, re- that's been the rewarding part of the journey so far. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. We, we thought there was a near-term opportunity um, in, our, um, in our IP product set. And so we put a lot of resource into that early to, uh, to try to, to create some rapid growth to that. And it turned out that the quick wins that we thought were there 
we're not. But however, that is an important product set to us. So we got kind of caught back into that, into that vice that I described earlier of going, hey, what do we do? We know we're going to need this in two to three, you know, in the next two years. And it's a lot harder and there's more work to do now that we've kind of uncovered some more of where the challenges are and, and some of the things that we have to do and limited resources. So that was, um, you know, that was just, a, you know, the mistake on, and we were able to pivot, which, which was good. And we are still kind of balancing it. We kind of slowed down what we're doing in that, that area. But really where the mistake was is, you know, as a new management team, as a new leadership team, you know, to rally the company around something and in three to six months, you know, later say, hey, I was wrong. Um, you know, you're worried about your credibility at that point and how you handle it. And, you know, I think that, you know, we just tried to be as transparent as possible. Um, you know, that we, and also though, I do think it helped kind of land a new culture that one, it's okay to make mistakes. And two, if we do make a mistake, let's talk about it. Let's come up with a new plan and let's move forward. So, you know, but, you know, we probably cost ourselves, you know, um, you know, we probably cost ourselves, you know, a decent amount of growth on some of our other products on that kind of three to six months that we kind of focused on the wrong problem. Well, what does the future look like for the product, um, for the company and for your team? You know, for the company, I, I think, you know, for us, it's, uh, you know, it's good. We are absolutely going to look to um, expand our infrastructure. So we'll be looking to expand our network footprint um, on a global basis, um, which is going to give our customers more options um, as they work with us. And we'll be able to get them into more places in the world and more markets. Um, and that will be, uh, that's going to be an exciting uh, you know, process. And we're actually um, you know, in some discussions uh, pretty far down the track on a, on a couple of those that we hope to execute next year on um, next calendar year, which is coming up quickly. Um, so that that's exciting. And then on a product perspective, it's really how do we bring together that kind of software layer of the network, um, you know, where enterprises are down to our infrastructure and how we tie that together and really, um, you know, begin to truly, you know, take network infrastructure for sub C and, and, and make it again, make it very cloud-like. Um, that's one area where networking is still kind of, I think, lag behind. It's still very manual. It's very, uh, it's very point to point. Um, the resiliency and everything has to be kind of bought up front um, versus a cloud model, um, which is kind of a bit more on demand. I mean, network, it's a lot harder to lay fiber in the ground. It's definitely a lot harder to lay fiber in, in, in the ocean. So there's a limit on what you can do, but we think we can really unlock that and particularly give you know, the large content players um, around the world the ability to um, you know, shift and manage their workloads um, to get to the markets where they need it, um, you know, to, to leverage best their investments. Um, and then, you know, I think also as you look towards the move to, you know, with our vast footprint and difficult to reach countries and places, you know, I, I think we'll be able to play a critical role in, um, you know, an edge in 5G for those markets, you know, bringing that content to those markets and bringing it closer um, and really being kind of the, the, the hub distributor. That's where we're looking to, to really take this over the course of, uh, the next the next few years and then um i think what was the last part of your because that was kind of a bit of the infrastructure and the and the product i forgot the last part of your question though was it on the people or the the team yeah the team you know the team is i think again it's um you know it's how do we 
you know, with that, I think it, it, it is, it's how do we, you know, m- continue to move the team from that, um, from that kind of, hey, let's just maintain what we're doing. Let's just keep doing what we're doing to, to continue that growth uh, perspective. And then also, um, you know, I'd like to see us behave a little bit more in market as a challenger. And just get and get more aggressive just on how we think, what we try to do to kind of push the boundaries of uh, of what we do in products and services and ideas. Because I do, I think it's an area that has been a bit stagnant um, as far as uh, you know, new ways of thinking, new ways of, of, of working and providing services to customers. So I'm just hoping that you know it'd be a great opportunity for our current team and future team to to really you know be part of something that's growing which i always think it's a heck of a lot more fun to be at something that's growing than not um that always creates opportunity and stuff where people feel challenged um so that's where i'm hoping that's the environment that we continue to build and and the type of teams that we attract let's switch to you jim so who influences the way that you work name a person that you look up to and why you know, the one that if I kind of think about it just from a business leader perspective, and it's the one that um, I look up to and uh, and respect, you know, that I've really kind of looked at maybe the last, you know, decade, which is, to me, I think it's one of the most impressive turnarounds around is uh, Satya at Microsoft. Um, you know, Microsoft has always had, and I've worked with Microsoft, never worked for Microsoft, but with Microsoft in many different areas of my career and, and the people and the technology and the talent. Um, you know, was uh, is always been incredible, but it was always a bit disjointed. Like it felt like you were dealing with ten different strategies of that company, uh, depending on when you were working. And the way he was able to get this, you know, company that it's a massive, massive, you know, one of the largest companies in the world, and be able to turn that ship that quickly and get everybody aligned. And, and I, I've got to see that up close as being a partner with them, uh, with Microsoft, with my, with, uh, my prior experience at Telstra. And with Rackspace and seeing that, seeing that pivot and then seeing, you know, the people in Microsoft rally behind that, the customers get behind it, seem to become a much more kind of customer led on its products. Uh, to me, that's inspiring on, on how you do that. I haven't cracked that code yet. But when I look to, you know, how is, is from a more of a leader position, how you can transform a business, I, I just find how he's been able to do that fascinating and impressive. Well, we talked about a mistake, but this is a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? It's that old adage on stuff. It's, um, it, it, you know, and it's just no matter how you think about it, it's, I, I just wish I actually still, I just wish I make decisions faster. Um, you know, like, you know, not making a decision is making a decision in a way because you put stuff off and like I, I've really had the I've really ever been burned in my career at times by saying wow I moved too fast I've made mistakes absolutely um, but that's where um, you know but but I think that's just the way you got to push forward um, and, and then have conviction on it um, you know sometimes when you get too many voices um, it, it questions your conviction and I think it's finding that fine balance between you know taking that input obviously working that into your solution being open to being moved off your spot i think that's really key but don't let that just bring into into that that process into a lot of self-doubt and paralyzation you know being paralyzed um you know i think sometimes you know particularly in the early days here we're trying to get it because you know we really didn't want to make missteps because we had to get everything back on stable footing 
I think there were some opportunities to move quicker where we'd actually be in a bit better shape today where um, I just held back a bit too much. And so it is a bit, I think, about that. It's that kind of speed to decision um, and, you know, taking in input and influences, but, you know, staying, staying true to your conviction and moving on that conviction. Well, last question, Jim. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? And it may have a little bit to do with what you just said, but we'll see where you go. I think there's that part of it. And I think the other part is, um, again, it's just that you kind of hate to say it because it sounds so cliche on it. It's, um, you know, it's, it's going to be then about your customer and your market traction and your team. Like those are the most important things to focus. If you understand who your customer is and your market is, and you got this, you know, this person has that idea where they think they got it home, you know, stay on that, make sure you're communicating with them and build the right team around it. If you do that and you start to show some traction, everything else will come, right? Um, including the headaches of figuring out how do I scale it? How do I hire this many people? How do I do it? But those are kind of the good headaches to have. Um, like when I used to, um, when I used to kind of do, do more, earlier in my career on the data center side, I'd have some people go to me going like, Hey, what would you ever do if, uh, you know, one of your data centers filled up and you'd have the next one built? I'd be like, you know what? One of these days in my life, I really like to wake up with that problem. So (laughs) it would be, uh, it would be, um, you know, it's the, uh, I think it would be that it would be like, you know, you know, just make sure you're, you know, you're getting buy-in from the market, you know, what your building's hitting that market and you get the right team around you to support you both from the aspect of doing the work, but people that you enjoy working with because you can be working on the greatest stuff in the world. And, and but if you're not enjoying the journey with the people, I, I find it really hard. That's great advice. Well, Jim, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling your creation story of global cloud exchange. Great. Well, thanks for having me. No, I really enjoyed the time. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.